Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back on another beautiful Champions League Wednesday. This is Up Back Through, a soccer coaching podcast brought to you by Running the Show, a blog for everyone in love with the beautiful game. My name is Eddie Prue, and as always, we are joined by the brilliant tactical mind of David Cellini, live from Linköping, Sweden. Good morning to you, David. How are you doing, man? Good morning, Eddie. I'm doing really well. I uh, yeah, I don't want to spend too long on me here because I mean, you had a big, you had a big night uh, or whatever it was time-wise for you over <laughs> in Seattle. So how do you feel about that city game last night? Oh man, I'm so I'm I'm happy. I'm I'm still a little bit confused by a little. You know, it was it was such a strange game to be honest because I'm so happy with the result. Obviously, two-one away. Um, an awesome, you know, like confident display, just like building up the attack. But I'm a little bit skeptical about the actual final product because, I mean, it was it was somehow an amazing game of football to watch, but there was there was not a lot of uh, highlights, you know, not a lot of you know efforts on goal. Period, and uh, the nature of the goals that City scored were, I mean, you know a little bit fortuitous if we're honest but mm. um again somehow it was still just like an awesome game of football to watch so i'm pleased with uh everything overall you know i i, I would have definitely taken a 2-1 away win if you'd asked me before the game and uh yeah there, there were so many talking points but um yeah man uh it was it was an awesome game the uh, the back line i know uh, we talked before uh, the pod tonight about the uh, performance from Ruben Diaz, as usual, that guy is just, I mean, at the moment, he's got to be the best center back in the world by a little, yeah, uh, by a little ways, incredible. wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, he's incredible. Like, he's just, I mean, he's a, he's an old school kind of Italian defender. He's not really, I mean, mostly when we talk about defenders, we talk about like the physical abilities. And I mean, he's obviously very strong, but he's not the quickest center back you see. And he's just... Like in terms of running, but he's probably the quickest in his mind because he's just he reads situations before they even begin to to uh, to unravel. And I mean, he he constantly shifts City's defensive line. So he as the if the ball goes backwards for the other team, he will make sure that City push up as 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 much as the ball moves. So he's always like changing the angles of defense, and and that's I mean difficult for a striker because if you play striker against City. And the ball goes backwards, and the city defense just pushes out like 10 meters. Then you have to obviously change your position straight away because you're offside otherwise. So it's it's really difficult to play against them, I think, just because of the way they shift and and all, you know all the time move across as a as a unit and him and Stones uh, in the game yesterday. But I mean, if they if he plays with Laporte, it's the same thing. He's he's a proper leader and he he reads the game so well that he's he's kind of I would say that he he uh, stops dangerous situations from happening before they have a chance of of actually you know coming come into play. So if if a ball goes out to to a winger of the opposition and and the fullback is out to press, if he's not quick enough out to to give support, then the winger might be one v one against someone like Sinchenko. 
but he's always there. So as he's there, the winger will just, oh, you know what, I'm going to go backwards again. And then City can shift the line, and it's so difficult to play against them. And he keeps the team compact. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's an incredible defender. Yeah, just so instinctive, like you said. You know, he just anticipates so well and, and, and just puts out fires before they start. And, uh, yeah, he's looking like a bargain at this point, even though he wasn't, uh, wasn't cheap. But, uh, no, he was, I mean, look at him now. He's going to be one of the top defenders in the world for the next 10 years, perhaps. You know, he's, he's only 23. It's, t- it's, it's incredible to, like, <laughs> remind yourself of that. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely a leader, definitely the uh, clear replacement to the uh, character lost by, uh, when Vincent Company retired. Um, yeah, and <laughs> one thing I love about uh he, about Diaz is he's, he's such like he's he's a celebrating defender you know like mm. I I wish defenders celebrated their wins more their their tackles their clearances you know whatever uh you know if you may like I've seen Marquinhos do it as well another uh, defender that we saw today uh but it's it's just great man and he's like it's so I remember watching a game earlier this season and uh, I remember Graham Lasso, I think, was commentating. He was, he was saying, like, I've never seen a defender give their uh, central uh, defense partner more high fives than Ruben Diaz. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and then, like, uh, a few minutes later, he goes, yeah, there he goes, Diaz again, running over to John Stones, give him another high five. And, yeah. uh, I mean, it's just, yeah, he's something about those type of players. But um, anyway, yeah, the opposition today, let's talk. PSG. We don't have to talk PSG, but we want to talk uh, French football because that's where we're headed with this uh, with this episode. We're going to talk tactics and uh, we're going to talk Lille OSC uh, in particular, the league leaders at the moment. Uh, man, this this league is so fun. It's the most exciting in Europe uh, alongside Spain. It's got to be, you know, and it's just like mm. it's just so exciting to see. It's great football. Uh, you know, French football has kind of proven to us more uh, very recently that they are definitely elite. You know, they uh, they're mm-hmm. not they're they're it's not just PSG uh, as we saw last year with both Lyon and uh, PSG in the semifinals of the Champions League and yeah. PSG in the final. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's great football and. Uh, why don't you, David, why don't you take it away a little bit? Because that's what we're going to do. We're going to move over to Lille and uh, the French League. Um, how is this happening? Why is a team other than PSG league, leading uh, Ligue 1 right now? What what are they doing right? They're doing a lot of things right, both on and off the pitch. Uh, and if we just if people aren't aware of, of what the table is like in, in, in France, we can just quickly remind them. Because so Lille are top... Uh, and then second are PSG, just a point behind them. And then you have Monaco in third, another point behind. So between the three top teams, you have two points. Uh, and there are so many interesting things to look at from tactical perspectives with these teams. I mean, Monaco, for for instance, they've in the last nine games, they've, they've kept clean sheets. So they haven't conceded a goal since March 4th, uh, which is an incredible record. And then if you go a, a bit longer... From when they actually did concede, at, like in the last in the last game, they've they've conceded one goal in the last twelve. So I mean, defensively, they do they're doing stuff that that we need to look at at some point. But but that's not the emphasis today. We'll we'll emphasize on on looking at um, on looking at the Lille, uh, as you mentioned. And and when when we look at Lille, 
and I wrote about Lil for for the website, uh, so running the show blog.wordpress.com, where I analyzed their tactics in the win against Leon at the weekend, uh, which really was one of the one of the the games that I've really spent time watching them this season. I've, I've watched a few of their games, but this was one where I really sat down to really look at how they actually go go about their their football and. Um, they they play a certain style of of positional play uh, under the coach now, and the coach is called Christophe Galtier. Uh, and I mean, it's proven very successful because, as we said, they're they're on the verge of a title. They're one point clear with four games to go. Uh, those four games, they're a bit bit tougher than than the games PSG have uh, have left. But I mean, they're still winnable, so they have a really good chance there to to actually go and go and clinch a first title since 2011. And I mean, in 2011, the team they had then, uh, I mean, a lot of people will remember some of their players. I mean, that was a team of, of Eden Hazard and Gervinho and Johan Cabay. So so it would be a, a real achievement to to win a league back after the years of, of PSG dominance. Um, but in terms of how they play then, they, as I said, they use a, a version of positional play. And I just want to touch on what positional play is. So positional play is a style of football that very dominant in, in nature often and it's based around dominating games with and without the ball and it's about creating situations on the pitch where through the positioning of the players you create superiorities uh, and there are four types of superiorities that teams look to, to uh, the teams look to create and the first one is quite simple it's numerical superiority so you want to be more, you want to have more players than the opposition in a certain area. So if the team you're playing press with two strikers, then you would like to have three players in in the uh, in your first line. So you would have, maybe have two centre-backs and then a defensive midfielder who drops into the in between the centre-backs to become 3v2 against the strikers. So that's one. The other one is called qualitative. And that's basically that you want to have players in certain areas that you know are better than their op- than their opponent. So say you have a really good winger uh, and then you want to find the winger in 1v1 situations against an opposition fullback because you believe that the qualitative superiority of this winger will help you create chances and score goals. The third superiority is, pos- is called positional superiority. And that's more of, of finding players in positions where they cause trouble for the opposition's defensive shape really so that would be uh, imagine like a number 10 playing between the opponent's midfield and defensive line and when the ball is played into the number 10 and he can turn and attack the defense something needs to happen then because some someone from the defensive line needs to react so you would have maybe a center back stepping up to press the 10 and then that would open up a space behind the defender uh, and then you can go and exploit that space. Or if they don't step up, you have time to run at them and maybe even have a shot away. Or if if uh, if you're slightly to one of the sides and, and you're basically doubling up against the fullback and the fullback will step in to try and press you in central areas, then you have space to play wide. So it's about finding positions where you cause problems for your position through the positioning of the players. Not really about how good the players are, but like in which situations do you find them. And then the fourth one, uh, it's quite more complex. I think it's it's dynamic superiority, and that's mostly about um, 
I can give an example. So you you would have, imagine a third man combination. So you you have a, a player who plays the ball to another player, and then you would have a third player already starting a run to get into a certain area. Then that third player has dynamic superiority over the defender because they start they would start a run earlier than the opponent because the opponent needs to also look at where the ball is. So that would be the four superiorities that, that you look to create through the positioning uh, of your players. And I mentioned it there that that you want to find free players between the lines of the opposition to draw them out to press and then creating space behind them. Because every time someone steps up to press, they leave space behind them. Uh, so that's an, a large emphasis as well. And finally, on, on just generally what, what positional play is, there are a lot of different versions. And Guardiola has one, Thomas Tuchel has another, Roberto De Serbi at Sassolo uses it as well, Maurizio Sarri uses it. So it's a style of play that, that many coaches use and adopt and try to find their own version of. Uh, but mostly it's, it's about how can we as a team create these superiorities through our positioning on the pitch. Um, and then... If we look at specifically how Lille do this and how they did it at Le- against Lyon at, at the weekend, we can look at their basic defensive shape is a 4-4-2. So they defend in a very compact, very traditional manner. They, they try to overload on one side to really press as a team. And then when the ball's in central areas, they keep an extremely compact shape to prevent teams playing through them. Because they want to play through the lines of the opposition and find players between those lines. So naturally, they want to stop the opposition doing the same to them. Uh, and what's interesting with the way they attack, because that's what really sets them apart, I, I think, and that's why they're top of the league, is that they're very fluid. It's not like they just have players set out on the pitch in, in, in rigid positions, because that could be positional play as well, that you, you, you're naturally positioned in certain areas. But Lille are very fluid. And I think this is a big big thing for for Galchier and and the way he wants to play and why they're special because so we, they start in a 4-4-2 as i said against Leon they sometimes they would have one of the center midfielders dropping in outside the center back so to create a back 3 uh, and then the other one would be left in midfield uh, on his own but then the wingers mo- would move inside to become like center midfielders as well so you would create a a back 3 and then you would push your fullbacks high you would have a single center midfield pivot, which was uh, Bubakari Sumare. And then you would have two central midfielders ahead of him, which in this game was uh, the wingers Ikone and uh, Renato Sanchez. And then you would have fullbacks really wide looking to attack in wide areas and then two strikers up front. And the role of those two strikers was to always look to running behind because that then pushes the, pushed the Leon defense deeper, creating space in central areas for them to play. So that was one way. The other way was by having, uh, by having the midfielders rotate quite like quite differently. Then you had, like, the guy who normally dropped into the defense. He was called, he's called Benjamin Andre. He would drop in as a single pivot, and then Sumare would move slightly to the left. Sanchez would come in as a number ten, and then Ikone would come in and become a a, a right-sided center midfielder to create kind of like a, a diamond in midfield. Uh, and then the fullbacks would go and pre- go and play really high. So this was really, really fluid. They could change based on on certain, like maybe how Leon pressed. They would change their their structure a bit. And then, I mean, sometimes Sanchez was the pivot. Sometimes he was the number ten. Sometimes he was uh, out on the left wing, and the fullback would come inside. 
So that's that's kind of how they play. They're very fluid. They focus on filling spaces rather than than having set positions. Like Chelsea, for example, Mason Mount will usually play in the same spaces. At Lille, he wouldn't. He would rotate in and see, okay, there's a there's no one in the pivot space. I would drop in there, and then someone else would move higher, for instance. So yeah, it's it's a very dominant and very pleasing style of football to watch. Yeah, and uh, yeah, very dominant, like you said, but. It's just crazy to me that uh, with with all the money that uh, PSG are spending, um, and and not just that, but I mean, you know, like you'd think that PSG would run away with it with all the uh, uh, resources they have, but yeah, you know, people for, like forget about Leo or Lyon, who uh, we haven't even really touched on because they're all the way down in fourth place, just four points off of uh, third place Monaco. So it's really, mm-hmm. I mean you know technically a four four horse race for the title even though uh leon are a few uh points back but uh, the the comp i mean france is a real competitive league you know like they they uh, they've they've had to like build that build that up a little bit over the last few years i feel and uh they're definitely here to stay i i almost want to say they deserve another champions league spot um uh to be honest just because i mean the the football that Monaco are playing as well uh, is mm-hmm. incredible, and I mean, you you had like I said, you had two teams from France in the semifinals of the Champions League last year, and um, yeah, no, it's it's so it's such good football to watch, and uh, such good uh, examples of how to run a football club as well. Because yeah. um, if I can touch on real quick the article that uh, I wrote for the for the blog uh, a couple months back. Um, about the scouts that uh, these clubs have had in the past that have just really set them up for success, uh, really effective scouting tactics and in-depth you know, analysis, and uh, the insane money that these clubs have made um, from, from like, you know, a few enormous transfer fees, but also just you know, the, the, the several that are you know, 20, in the region of 15 and 20 million it's just incredible like the the financial stability that these clubs and i'm talking mostly about lille and uh monaco but uh, lille in particular mm. because the money they've made is just off the charts it's incredible and uh so that has that's got to have something to do with the uh the success that they found now is having those funds even though you know you look at the the money that they spend and it's not it's not excessive at all i think one of the most expensive players in the field is Jonathan David, the uh, Canadian yeah. striker. I think they brought him in for something in the region of 20 million. Um, yeah. And he's, you know, I, I just saw him linked with United and I just saw him linked with Arsenal. And, uh, you know, he's, I, I think he's got 10, 11 goals this season. But yeah, um, yeah the, the business they do is just incredible. And, the, you know, how they've put that team together to be at the top of Ligue 1 with, uh, yeah. you know, so few games left is just, it's just amazing. And I think that's that's the big thing because obviously neither of these teams in the league can can uh, compete with PSG financially, so they have to be very clever uh, in in everything they do. And tactics is one is one part of like how you can find an advantage. And and Lille have done that. I mean, the way they play. I mean, they've beaten PSG this season, so they they won. I think it was in Paris even like a few a few uh, weeks ago. Uh, which really elevated them to probably believe that they could go and actually win this title. Uh, and, you know, we'll see if they, if they can do it. But, I mean, they're still in a very good position. But, I mean, if you look at the team now, 
there are some players there that we feel, you know, these will definitely go and definitely go and move on for bigger fees. I mean, you mentioned Jonathan David there. This is his first season in France. Uh, he they signed him from 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 uh, Ghent in in Belgium. Uh, so I, I think that's someone who we can probably be quite confident confident on him moving on to to bigger clubs quite soon. I mean, the centre back Sven Botman from that they signed from uh, from Ajax. Oh, I wanted an- to mention him too. Yeah, yeah, he's another one who's definitely gonna move for for a big fee. So they signed him for eight million euros, and I mean, if they sell him this summer, they could easily get forty or fifty, I guess, um, yeah. because he's someone who looks possible. It's it's possible that he can go and dominate at at clubs, maybe. Maybe not in as as well as as Diaz has done at City, but he's someone who he has everything you need. Like in yeah. terms of physically, he's really strong. He's he's very good on the ball. Uh, so he's definitely someone that that top clubs are looking for. Mm, left footed as well, and he's uh, he's he's definitely got that. He came from Ajax's uh, you know uh, mm. system, so you know he's got that maturity uh, for you know. Like a like a kind of like a delict kind of leadership, you know, that's evident from an early age because he's that type of player. He's going to go for some big money uh, to somebody. Hopefully, I'd love to see him in England. That's the kind of yeah. that's the kind of player that a, that a team like Arsenal needs to spend. I mean, and ironically, Arsenal they <laughs> did spend that kind of money on a defender from Lille, and that's that was Gabriel uh, okay. a few you know a couple seasons ago or whenever it was, but. Uh, yeah, he's he's. A, I love Sven Botman, and uh, if we needed another center back, I'd be begging uh, City to sign him. But we are okay on center backs at the moment. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, no, it's that. And it, like, look at who who he's playing next to. You know, uh, yeah. Jose Font, who's what thirty seven years old and still just you know killing it. Clever, so, clever recruitment again. Clever I mean, this, recruitment, they, exactly. You yep. obviously saw that he can he can offer something that that we don't have. At, the, at this moment in time, and uh, he's he's had a good. I think he came back in 2018 uh, on a free transfer. He might have been 2019, but he's had one or like two or three seasons now at the club, and he's someone who who just. I mean, you don't always have to sign like the next star to to be competitive. You can sign older players. They did they've done the same this year with Burak Yilmaz. Who mm-hmm. is their top yeah, scorer? Exactly, yeah. uh, came from Besiktas on a free transfer, and he scored two at the weekend against Lyon. When when one Lille of them came. was an incredible free kick. Yeah, yeah, and he's just another one who's just. I mean, you wouldn't expect him to to be on the market for a team looking to sign and uh, looking to win a league. Uh, in like this is one of Europe's top five leagues, um, but he's come in and, and you know been close to a revelation, even though they probably knew what they were getting. Uh, and I mean, I, I, I want to stay with Botman again because that whole thing, that whole situation just epitomizes everything that Lille do right. So as, as you mentioned, they sold uh, Gabriel to Arsenal uh, last summer for 26 million euros and then they signed Botman for eight. So they, that, they make a huge profit. You could argue that they improved the team and then we know they're going to s- sell him within the next two or three transfer window windows for a lot of money again. And it's similar with what they did with Victor Osiman. Uh, so they sold Nicolas Pepe to Arsenal in, in 2019. They bring in Osiman from, from, from Belgium. 
and then they sold him a year later for, for like 50 million euros more than they signed him for. So they keep making these clever deals and they sign players who might look out of favor at, at, at different clubs. They did. They signed Renato Sanchez from FC Bayern a few years ago. Uh, they signed Timothy Villa from from PSG. Uh, and these players will probably, you know, probably make them a profit over time. Uh, like Thiago Mendes, who now plays at, at Lyon, was signed for like eight million euros. They sell him a few years later for 22. So they double their money on him. Uh, I mean, Rafael Leao is another one who they who they brought in uh, from from Portugal, and then he went to AC Milan for, for almost 30 million euros. So they keep making these clever deals. And when you generate these these kinds of funds, you can bring in better players than you would previously. But then that also opens up an opportunity to make even more profit. So, I mean, Lille look very sustainable. And it looks like they are here to stay at, at the top of, of French football. And, and if they can keep their coach, Galtier, and, and keep making these clever deals in the transfer market, I mean... There's no real, there's no limit to what they can go and achieve. I mean, we're not talking about a team that's going to go and win the Champions League here, but it's a team that definitely should be in the group stages every year uh, if they can keep generating this this type of money, and then obviously get the money that you get from playing in the Champions League. I, I think they did all right in the group stages. They didn't go through, but they had some tough groups in, in the last few years playing Ajax and, and Chelsea and Valencia, I think. Um, so it looks like they. Have really found the method, uh, like a a recipe for success, and taken the the success they have off the off the pitch with the tactics and the playing style on the pitch. It, you've just created a a model club, really, in in terms of how you could how you could run and look to like punch above your weight. And I mean, if you can compete with PSG, who you know is one of the most powerful clubs in 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 the world you you could argue with their focus on on building this cultural brand and stuff uh i mean if you can compete with them and compete with the players they have then you're obviously doing something very 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 good yeah no you said it man it's 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 just incredible and it's like it it's one of the reasons we love football man and one of the reasons that super league nonsense was so just egregious because it just totally takes away like the the incredible, you know, like happenings of football when we see a team like Lille or a team like Monaco doing what they're doing. Um, yeah, it's incredible. It's like they make so much money and also just keep improving. So it's not even like they've like settled on being a, a, a like a quote unquote selling club, you know, and like, oh, yeah, we're just going to sell and we're going to be sustainable and we're going to probably finish, you know, like mid table and we're just going to be happy with that. Um, but we're going to be financially stable. Like the, they haven't said that. They they said we're going to make all this money, and we're also going to apparently go on and win leagues and you know play in European uh, cups. It's it's crazy, and I hope they yeah. win the league. To be honest, like yeah. I really do. I really hope they stay top and uh, and pull it out because I think that would just be great for football in general. Yeah. But um, again, hey, can we can we talk about Monaco too a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Before we leave Lille, though, like I would just we we talk a lot about recruitment and transfers and stuff, and like I obviously like to look at tactics. But if you look at this team, like, are there any players that you feel okay? We mentioned Botman, but are there any players that you feel okay? These guys can really go and really go and 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 impact upon top clubs in Europe. Well, uh, we mentioned Botman for sure. We uh, mentioned Jonathan David. I think he'll definitely. 
uh, end up at some. I don't. I don't. I don't know where I see him ending up, but mm. uh, somewhere. I think. Um, I definitely think Jonathan Ikone will end up somewhere bigger. Yeah, he's in, he's incredible. He's a fantastic what a player. player. Is, yeah. yeah. Um, I think. No, he's, I think. He's been a what lot do you think about Sanchez? I say. I think Sanchez is definitely going to uh, have a resurgence of sorts. Um, I think. It, I think it's a perfect setting for him to play for a club like Lille, who are clearly, you know, like very nurturing and very, you know, I, I don't know. It just seems like the right fit. It seems like yeah. uh, like a good environment for him to get back on his feet, so to speak, and uh, you know, get back to the uh, put to the player that everyone thought he was going to be in you know 2015, 2016, whatever it was. But he, I mean, he has shown his quality, and people forget he's one of those people that came to prominence so young that yeah. it, it already seems like they've been around forever. And then you look and you're like, oh, he's only 23 still. Yeah. Um, so he's he's definitely, he, he, I think he will get back to those levels um, because he already showed it. It's, you know, it's tough to, like, his, his quality at Benfica was just out of this world. And, mm. yeah, his, his technique and his striking of the ball and his running with the ball and everything. Um, I think he'll get back there. For sure, yeah. and that's an interesting signing that they made—a very clever signing again, um, because yeah, they—I think, I think they, yeah. they felt the same, right? And what do you think? No, I, th- I think he—he's—he's he's really impressed me in terms of because when you play in this system that's so fluid and and you constantly, you know, you change your position based on where your teammates are, on where the ball is, where the space is, uh, so you all. You have to be on alert all the time. It's not like you can just say, "Okay, I'm a defensive midfielder. I'm gonna play in this position," because then someone else will come in and you will move further up. And and Sanchez, especially on Sunday against as against Lyon, so he started on the left wing, like defensively, but he ended up as a as a number ten. He was a defensive midfielder. He dropped in between the center backs. He would play on either side in like in the inside channels. Sometimes he was wide left, and you you he would allow the the fullback to come inside and he would stay out out wide so he, he's impressed me with his intelligence like he he understands the game and he we talked about diaz reading the game i think you can definitely read the game when you have the ball as well and sanchez is someone who who does that brilliantly and i think i wonder what they I mean, have in common i wonder i wonder where they learned <laughs> yeah so where, yeah exactly the the benfica way um yeah i mean he's so i think i think a lot of teams would probably I, I'm. I think sadly that that a lot of like top clubs they look at someone who goes to a club like he so he went to Bayern Munich and he didn't become a, a world star at, at Bayern Munich and and then he had to drop down to Lille you would you could argue and he had his loan at Swansea and stuff but that I, I I'm afraid that a lot of teams would look at that and say okay he didn't make it he's not good enough to play at a top club but I mean you have to as you said he was so young he was so young and you have to give him some kind of benefit of the doubt there that he he can come back because he's showing it now. I mean, this is a player who could go play with his qualities. He could play at, at you know most clubs. Uh, so I really hope someone someone picks him up uh, in the next few few transfer transfer windows. Uh, I think I think same same goes for for Bubakari Sumare, uh, the other yes. midfielder who's yep. just so skillful. And I mean, he's been likened to Pogba a lot, and I can definitely see that in terms of how. He he kind of glides uh, through the pitch and he dribbles people and he's so skillful and but I think he's also like a an all round good 
player. He's 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 good defensively, and he's a, he's 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 a good passer, and he's very intelligent as well because he needs to be in this system, as I mentioned. Uh, but he's someone who can offer you a lot with his ability to to not only like pass through lines, he can also dribble through lines, uh, which is really difficult to deal with in central area. So uh, those two would be my my picks, I guess. Here, Sanchez Sanchez could go to anyone, and and for Sumari, I think someone who might not might not be a, a, one of the biggest clubs but like a like a an Everton or like a Tottenham uh, who are j- just below the the absolute top clubs in their league or like Leicester even like a team like that could could, could yeah. go and sign him and then I think that would be very clever because then they would probably sell him a few in a, in a few years again to like a United or, or a City for a lot more money so so those two definitely yeah I'm with you and uh, yeah those two for sure uh we got a sh- i mean for whatever it's worth we got a shout out uh Lille's keeper Mike Magnon I'm not sure how to pronounce yeah. his last name but he's been out, he's been awesome and um I think he'll end up somewhere else too Yeah I've seen Milan being linked with him oh, if, right? if Donnarumma yeah. leaves if Donnarumma leaves they'll they'll go for him Yeah But what yeah. about Monaco then what what uh, what do you want to touch on there I, well, they're just so fun, too. And that's another team that uh, I, I wrote about earlier this year um, with their scouting tactics. And uh, they had uh, Luis Campos was there as well. And, you know, that's where he kind of like really kind of stamped his. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the profits that he made them are. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if he made more money for Lille or for Monaco, uh, if we're if we're counting just transfer fees that he, yeah. you know, uh, was responsible for. But um, I think he. he Kind of technically gets credit for uh, Mbappe and then so many, so many more at Monaco. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I had some like you know kind of unfortunate deja vu today watching uh, Mbappe uh, against City <laughs> in the Champions League because that's when he really burst onto the scene was against us in the Champions League for Monaco. Um, mm. You know, and look at him now and. Like that whole team, Bernardo Silva. Now he's at City. Fabinho. Uh, like all these, all these players are so like Bakayoko. So many, just so many huge transfer fees. That uh, and now they have uh, Paul Mitchell, the uh, English guy. Um, it's like it's it's just so fun to watch them too. They're they're similar, aren't they? They they kind of are clever with their transfers, and they uh, have put together a team that's just right off the top. They could win. They could yeah. win league one as well. They they're on seventy one. Yeah. Uh, I know you mentioned the point total already, but they're on mm. 71, PSG are on 72, and Lille are on 73, all of them having yeah. pay, uh, played 34 games. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. they're just... They're and I mean, just the players fun. they have, I mean, they've, they've done it very cleverly as well. Like we mentioned Lille picking up uh, Yilmaz and, and uh, Jose Font in the last mm. few years. And, I mean, if you look at the, at the squad uh, Monaco possessed, then you would just... You know, the, the, you recognize all of the players. I mean, if we look at some of their attacking options, like they have Kevin Folland, who obviously uh, played in in Germany for was it Hoffenheim and Leverkusen? He was at, and then uh, I mean, Wissam Ben Yedder, who who did so well at Sevilla, uh, and then you have Stevan Jovetic, you know, another city connection there, someone who who probably felt. You, you, a lot of people probably felt that he had had his shot at the at the at the big time, but he's obviously now coming back into coming back into a team that's that's pushing at the top of a of a big league. So, so he's someone who they've been able to 
to restore to his former glories. So so that's another one that they similar to how how Monaco did it with and uh, how Lil did it with Yilmaz. That you go and find someone that you know. Okay, if we get this player, we can recover him. We can recover his form. Jovetic has done that. They have uh, obviously experience in the in the form of, of Cesc Fabregas in the squad mm-hmm. to help the younger younger players they have. And then we gotta mention the the Russian Golovin, who's uh, been really really good and really important for Monaco this year. And uh, yeah, they, they've built, as you say, a really interesting team. So they have a nice mix of these experienced players, uh, the likes of the likes of. Uh, of Jovetic and, and of Holland and Ben Yedder and Fabregas, but then also have some nice young players like Chouameni, a centre midfielder who's so many, yeah, yeah, he's he's destined for a big club, I think, and and I, I really like Badia Shile as well, uh, defender, yeah, uh, he's outstanding, yeah, as centre back, yeah, so he's someone I think will also have a big move ahead of him. Uh, they also have Florentino Luis uh, in the squad who who also came through at Benfica, so they've built a really strong and good squad with a nice mix of of young players coming through and then some more experienced heads to kind of guide them and you know as i mentioned they've conceded one goal in in 12 games so defensively they they yeah. look they look insane insanely good so um yeah uh, monaco could definitely win it uh, not sure how their last few fixtures look i mean they play leon on sunday which you know is destined to be a big that game that will be yeah Oh, can I just uh, point out one other player that they have who is uh, definitely going to be a lot more uh, talked about pretty soon. That's a, a really young Belgian kid named, um, what's his first name? Elliot, Elliot Matasso. Okay. He's 19 years old and uh, just remember that name. He's going to, he'll be around. He's a player, Elliot Matasso. Um yeah, so that that game this weekend will definitely tell a lot and make things a little bit more clear. Even though it's not going to decide anything really, it's uh, yeah, it's just an awesome uh, title race going on in France. We love it, and uh, yeah. So David, I know you wrote uh, pretty extensively about Lille and their tactics recently. Uh, mm. That article is right on our website, right on the blog at uh, runningtheshowblog.wordpress.com. And then another article that uh, is pretty uh, relevant for this for this episode of the podcast is uh, the one that I wrote a couple months ago. If you just scroll down our page, you'll find it. It's got uh, an old guy with glasses on the uh, on the uh, cover. That's Luis Campos, <laughs> one of these uh, scouting geniuses. And we talk about you know finances and how to run a club right, like Lille are doing. Um, so that's another article that uh, is uh, relevant for this for this episode. But um, yeah, David, anything else you want to uh, touch on or uh, talk about in, in regards to French football? No, I, I just want to <laughs> I want to just give people a, a piece of advice that go and watch French football. I mean, it's really good. And I personally, I, I think sometimes I don't watch it enough. I don't think I watch football enough, actually. I mean, there are so many games that, that I should be watching every week. But, you know, sometimes it's difficult to, to do everything. But this week I've, I've had an opportunity to actually look at, at some games, um, uh, like watch, what reruns of games. So so uh, just go and watch them and, and watch these teams, watch Monaco, watch Lille, watch Lyon, watch Marseille. Uh, there are so many teams in France that you can go and watch. And, and uh, in terms of Lille, as we focused on today, just uh, 
go and watch them play. Uh, look at how they move. Look at how they rotate. Look at how they look to to get into these spaces that can really hurt a team when you get in between the lines, especially in between the lines of the midfield and defensive line. Um, because that's really the essence of positional play, how you get into these positions where you can cause maximum amounts of damage to the opposition team. Uh, City do it brilliantly. Chelsea do it really well. Sassolo do it brilliantly. And then obviously Lille are doing it in a, a way that's quite unique, I would say, with their fluidity. Uh, so just go and watch them, study them, and uh, yeah, try and incorporate some of their aspects into the teams you coach, uh, and then uh, you probably will will be able to to coach an enjoyable style of play, and and also watch an enjoyable style of play being performed by your players. There you have it from the tactical master himself. Uh, yeah, what a fun uh, what a fun topic, and uh, definitely check out uh, all those French teams in addition to PSG in the Champions League next week when uh, they visit Manchester City and uh, make their exit from the Champions League because <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's what's got to happen. That's what's got to happen this year, David. It's got to be this year. So. Yeah. I'm, afraid, <laughs> I'm afraid it is. Yeah, it looks, I, it looks I, likely. I, I, I hope know. so. I hope so. But we got to play with somebody in the center. We got to play with a striker, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's stressing me out. But anyway... Thank you again, David. Uh, you have a nice day uh, as you're starting your day over there in Lynn Shopping. I'm going to head off to bed over here in Seattle. And uh, yeah, that was another episode of Up Back Through. We will uh, talk to you all later. Thanks for tuning in.